did for me. Give it up for Jesus. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I am. Um, I'm really excited about this word. I've been thinking a lot about uh, just my own calling and my purpose, and really the vision of our church, which is made for this. And if you are new to our church, we are believing the Lord is going to release um, unprecedented favor in the church over the next seven years. Uh, powerful, powerful things that God is going to do. And so we um, talked about that vision on our three-year anniversary as church pastors last October. And then the following months, uh, for me, have not felt like favor at all. They've been like crazy difficult. And I used to be able to process my difficulties in the shadows in the church or maybe in the, you know, eighth row or up at the top, you know, over the years. But now um, I, I, I don't have a, I try to be authentic. I try to tell people, hey, man, this is what it is. This is what I'm going through. And um, uh, really, I think I misunderstood <laughs> the vision because I thought favor was everything was going to feel good for the next seven years and everything was going to be awesome. But then uh, the favor that the Lord has shown me uh, is challenging. Anybody else? You're like, I thought Pastor Julian said it was going to be seven years of favor. Uh, I don't really know what he's talking about. And I remember when we um, took over the church, man, man, your boy was clean, man. I had on the, uh, uh, my ankles was out, perfectly lotioned. You know, dark-skinned black man, the devil comes for the Achilles when you have your ankles out. He comes for the Achilles, and you just have all kind of ash back here, no matter how much you lotion. But the devil is a lie. He was a lie that night because I was perfectly moisturized. It looked like the Holy Spirit put the lotion on my ankles himself. I had a turtleneck on, man, and me and my wife, man, we, my grandfather used to say, man, you, you looking cooler than a cucumber and twice as green, Jack. You know, black people can never just say you look nice. We always got to have a phrase that we made up. I uh, used to say, boy, close the door. You're letting all the summertime in. Why can't you just say it's hot, grandpa? Earlier, Tyler, shout out to Tyler. He's on our team. He was mixing incredibly up there. And I turned to David. I said, man, Tyler up there putting the butter on the popcorn, ain't he? And David like, he sure is. Like, why can't we just say the mix sounds nice? Well, anyway, I was looking cute, cooler than a cucumber and twice as green, man. My wife was looking beautiful. And I remember uh, Pastor Holly, they had a baton. And they, they passed us the baton. And I think I might have even done something cheesy with the baton. I think I held it up. I think we, did we all put our hands on it or something weird like that? Everybody put their hands on the baton. And everybody was like, congratulations, 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 congratulations. And then the pandemic hit, and it was, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. And I have a message that's going to encourage somebody today. It's called The Cup and the Calling. The Cup and the Calling. Because the reality is, although it was super cute, and I'm grateful for our transition service, and I'm grateful for the baton that I was given, that, that baton quickly got put in the closet, and what I discovered that I was holding was a cup. A cup, and we're going to talk today about what's in the cup. And everybody's got a cup if you've got a calling. Matthew 20, verses 22. Uh, a couple of guys, and this is Sam and Adino version. Uh, uh, you know, moms pulled up on Jesus. I really, somebody's got to write this version of the Bible. I'm, 
I'm going to write this version. Me and Victor, my friend, we were talking about, I think I'm going to write this version of the Bible. Matthew 20. Imagine opening your Bible. Uh, moms pulled up on Jesus and said, <laughs> I wouldn't want to read that Bible. You, uh, uh, and asked him, and I'm going to uh, give you the backstory. She said, uh, she was trying to ask for something awesome for her sons. And back then, uh, favor was proximity. So let me just pause and say that the favor that we are believing for starts with everyone in this room getting closer and more mature and intimate with Jesus. So I'm not talking about just your job or your money. I'm talking about your intimacy with Christ because here's this mom talking to a king and she asked him, can my two sons sit next to you when you enter into your kingdom? Because anything, imagine moms asking God for anything. And what she asked for is, can my kids be really close to you? Moms, will you ask for a job? Will you ask for a promotion? Will you ask for a new car? Will you ask for a house? No, no, no. I'm going to ask, when you enter into your kingdom, can they sit next to you? And Jesus said this. He didn't say no. He said, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. He didn't say no. He said, oh, you want that calling? Can you handle the cup? Well, what's in the cup? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to present to you what's in the cup is suffering. Make some noise. When I say suffer, you say suffer. Shout if you're ready to suffer for the Lord. Make some noise. You know that don't get the party going. You can fill up a church in L.A., telling people that God is here to do whatever it is that you want to do. He's going to get you in entertainment. He's going to get you, and he will. But that cup ain't no joke. You can pray. See, I, I love L.A. church people, but we can actually, pastors can trick L.A. church people into believing that God is here to make it easy for you. And so there's a cup attached to your calling. And what L.A. pastors can do if they're not careful is they can fill churches up, making you think that that big old thing you prayed for comes with this cup of suffering. That you just sitting there chilling. Lord, I'm going to need you to get me married. With your pinky out. Hurt finger from volleyball, legs crossed, eating avocado toast at your favorite coffee shop, chilling. I'm about to start a business, and it's going to work on the first try. Oh, and by the way, Jesus, won't you let me go ahead and book this audition today? I've been playing guitar and writing songs for six months, but my Instagram says I'm an artist. It's just a matter of time. This year is going to be my year. And it's the first year you ever tried. <laughs> you just chilling. And you think that big old prayer. See, here's what I came to tell you. Stop praying 7-Eleven big gulp prayers when you can only handle Monopoly thimble suffering. I'm about to throw this binder already. Do you not know what you asked me for? Lord, can you use me? Use me. And then when he uses you, I'm feeling used. <laughs> Nobody appreciates me. I feel used. I thought you said you wanted the Lord to use you. And then you start doing other things. Like I need to, you know, go see a psychic. I need to sit in my bathtub and 
burn some candles and burn some sage and I need an onyx crystal. You got crystals lined all outside the bathtub trying to get all the bad energy out of your house and you the only one there. <laughs> if you want to get the bad energy out of your house, I think it's time to move. I think it's time to move. Ain't nobody in the house. And you got people convincing you that it's bad energy and bad vibes. No, no, no. It's that cup. And some of y'all think you're somebody. Some of y'all, y'all got this cup. And then you got the audacity to say, Lord, I want revival. That, this cup don't go with that calling. This cup don't go with that calling. Some of you, man, you spend more time matching your outfit than your shoes, with your shoes than your cup with your calling. It's got to match. I feel like preaching today. I feel like... I said, I feel like preaching. David said, I'm back and I'm back. I'm black and I'm back. I don't even know what that means. Like you, your fit, fit check. I should call this message cup check. Cause you gotta wake up every morning knowing that what you asked for is attached to the cup you're dealing with right now. And if you had some faith, you would realize that this cup matches the calling. And if the cup is too heavy to bear, the calling must be more greater than I realize. So I've been confused for the last seven months because suffering and you got to understand this, suffering can be a physical circumstance. You're, you know, you have an issue with your, your body or you have cancer and, 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 and you're suffering. But you know the other word for suffering? It's, under, it's an emotional weight, emotional heaviness. This sums up how every single L.A. person suffers for the most part. When they are going through it, it's emotionally. So poverty is not suffering by default. You can go to Africa and people live in mud huts and they're not suffering because they're happy and joyful with the Lord. And so these humble circumstances don't create suffering, but move you from the palisades to a hut. Now you're suffering because you are stressed. It's emotional weight. And that's my suffering. It's emotional weight. And the reason why the emotional weight is there is because I thought it was going to be good. I thought it was going to be easy. And I was trying to sit from my little thimble cup and pray these big old prayers. And Jesus said, do you not know what you have asked for? Do you know what it's going to take for you to do what God has put in your heart? The best NBA players are not the most skilled. They're the ones who suffer in practice. The ones who just show up and try to shoot, those guys aren't good. One, one, one basketball player said about 50% of the NBA don't even love the game. They're just here to make money. And you can tell. He said, there's some players in here that if they put in the effort, they'd be better than everybody, but they don't put in the effort. They don't want the cup. They don't want the cup. Jesus relates to you, though, because he didn't want his either. He literally said in Luke 12, 42, when he was getting ready to go to the cross, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I, I'm, I'm not saying this to dishonor spiritual leaders. But you can find 40,000 messages on purpose and calling, but you can't hardly find any messages on the cup you are getting ready to put down. Because what happens is you then say to yourself when it gets hard, well, God told me to lay that down. No, he didn't. You quit. Because I've never seen a successful person lay anything down. 
people at the top of their game, closing a $150 million deal in, in, in venture capitalists and, and going, the Lord told me to lay it down. No, it's always when they're trying to do it and it ain't working, I get, God told me to lay it down. No, he didn't. He told you to keep sipping. You better get a straw. Put some marshmallows in that cup. And when we're struggling with the cup, we think we're not called to the calling. And God ordains the cup. It's his. He's giving it to you to prepare you for the favor. And somebody's cup in this room is you're afraid of failure. And God's word is guaranteed if you, you know that slogan in the 80s? It's folders in your cup. Heaven sings the same song. Suffering in your cup. Like this, you got to drink it. And if you put it down, you put your calling down. But nobody's preaching about the cup. Because nobody wants to come to church to hear about the cup. They want to come to church to hear about the calling. God's going to bless you. Favor, 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 favor. Increase, increase. When I say increase, you shout increase. And, and everybody's believing that disobedient people can achieve obedient blessings. So I can actually stir your faith around a lie. And your faith can be activated to believe a lie. That's not the way God works. It's not the way it works. There were four principles around suffering, uh, primarily in the Old Testament, that many people believed. And some of them were true, and some of them were a little exaggerated. But one principle I want to share with you, uh, does anybody want to hear about the, some biblical beliefs around suffering? This is such a great, if, hopefully you brought a guest today, like for the first time. But if you brought them, they're probably going through something and they think God is good if he removes their suffering. God is good if he's there. If I'm at the park with my son and my son falls and scrapes his knee, am I a bad dad because he got hurt? No, presence is the number one attribute of my goodness is I was there. It's not preventing him from getting hurt. It's letting him do things that allow himself to get hurt but not die. My wife is really good at this. I, I, I'm, I, I, she lets our kids do dangerous things carefully. I want them to do careful things carefully. <laughs> it just freaks me out. But I'm saying God will put you in a situation because he knows the word is true. And, and the enemy's trying to talk us out of what God said because what he said is more, is more difficult than we thought. And so people in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, believed that suffering was because of the sin of a person or the sin of their ancestors. And Deuteronomy 27 and 28, I don't have time to support this. I mean, to, uh, to, to read it to support what I'm saying. But if you read it on your own, you'll find out that's true, that it basically explains the unbelievable blessing of obedience and the dire consequences and curses of sin. So Deuteronomy 27 and 28 breaks down, if you, then I will. And if you don't, then it's going down. Like it's not, he's not joking around. So it brought up these things. And it goes and even says that the sins of the fathers will follow the, the children for multiple generations. It says for four generations, but the obedience of the father will follow the children for a thousand generations. Oh man, I'm breaking down the butt. So, so negative, like, so when you say that you have a generational curse, right? Biblically, that could only go four generations. So, but, but prophetically, if you had a generational blessing, you could pass it on for a thousand. 
So the church is so focused on generational curses that they're not trying to figure out, what do I need to do to release generational blessings? Because the curse was broken by Jesus, but the blessing is achieved through faith and obedience and patience. This is supported, and Jesus came, and it kind of flipped everything on its head because this would have been his theology. If something's going bad, somebody did something wrong. It would be like me interviewing for a job or going and trying to book an audition, and I don't book the audition. I call home and tell Christina, who's sinning? You? The kids? Go, did, grand, did grandma do something? Because there's no way it should go my way if I don't sin. That's what they believed. And they believe this even, you see, and Jesus said this, addressed this in John 9, verses 2 through 3, where uh, a man was born blind, and they said, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus replied, and we're getting to the second reason suffering happens. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. But this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. God will put you in a difficult circumstance so that when he gets you out of it, everyone knows it was God. I think that's why the church has been so difficult for me to lead. You know why? Because I'm a decent leader. I'm a decent communicator. I'm a decent preacher. On paper, it looks like I should be able to build a church. But God is making it difficult so that when he releases the favor, when the church grows to release in, in, uh, his favor in Los Angeles, everyone's going to know that was not Pastor Julian. We have seen him walk through. It wasn't him. It wasn't him. It wasn't him. It wasn't him. Pastor Julian, you're amazing. That's what you'll say in year one. Pastor Julian is awesome. And you might say in year two, you might hate me in year three and come back and love me in year four. But by year seven of favor, you're going to go, that wasn't him. That was God. And God has to make it difficult so that he can reveal himself. Number one, he does bring about suffering as the consequences of sin. But number two, he will use suffering to reveal himself to you. He uses a hard time. What, what, what everybody in this room who came to church for the very first time, be honest, you did not go, you know what, everything's great. Money's good. I have joy. I'm booking everything I want to do. Business is doing great. You know where we should go? Church. We should go encounter God. You know when we do that? I ain't got no money, man. I just need God in my life. Yeah, of course you do, because you broke. But when you're rich, do you still have that same attitude? When the auditions ain't getting booked, I got to get to the house of the Lord. When you're on set, you I just sorry I haven't been to church. I've just been on set, and I've just been on set. But God, it, God, and I get it. I don't need you to leave set to go to church, but there's got to be something in you that cannot wait to get back and honor the Lord for all he has done in your life. I've just been so busy. Yeah, the last two Sundays you were, but that brunch Sunday, when you're in here gnawing on bacon, bacon all trapped in your teeth, but the, let, let, let the devil take away all your booked auditions and end your business. You, now you're in the fourth row crying on the fast songs. Woo! <laughs> 
I am free. I am free. <laughs> I used to be free. <laughs> so first song and you crying, man. I always see people crying on the first song. I said, see, you should have. Because I don't cry till song four. You crying on the first song, man. You ain't been in church in a minute. Come on, first song criers. I'm sorry. I had to come for you. I see you. Look back, just blubbering, dude. I'm like, we one minute in. Hey, everybody, welcome to Oasis. <laughs> Come on, first song crying. They always be in the front, too. Never in the back. Where was I going? Where was I going? Oh, everybody will know it's God. That's where I was going. Um, so God uses those circumstances to reveal himself to us because we don't know how to let him reveal himself to us in times of blessing. And so we need to get better at hungering for God when things are good, and we're not so full. See, see, spiritual hunger comes from being deprived of other things. So, so if, you, if you have it good, you need to cultivate your hunger. And if you don't, then God will often bring something to draw you near to him, because that's just when we all do it. It's just when we all do it, you know? It's like we all have that spare tire faith. It stays in the trunk. Until the tire blows out. And when the tire blows out on your career, the tire blows out on your relationship, here you come, going to the trunk. Like Sunday has to be where you go to honor God, not where you're going to the trunk. Wow. That's not, oh, the car broke down, so let me pull over. No, can you follow God in the Ferrari? I hope, I hope I can. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm not uh, worth $50 million. I think I, I should be worth $50 million if I would follow God and pastor a church if I was worth $50 million. But if I was worth $50 million as of today, we would have another transition service. <laughs> or we would do it on the golf course at, at the golf, like a whole 18. We in the stands and Jesus as I put the ball. And I'm joking, but not really. Because that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to be rich. And God knows I can't make you rich. You wouldn't pass it to church. And now I want to be in a place where I think I'm about another six months away that God could give me any amount of money. God give me any amount of favor. God could do whatever he want. And I would climb up here every Sunday, prayed up on my face, preaching the word. That's what I want to be able to do. And oftentimes, you don't have what you're praying for because you would do something different. And here's why. I have a deep honor for what I get to do. And I feel bad for y'all who prayed big prayers and you're suffering, but I feel worse for some of y'all who are like me who are suffering for things you did not pray for. I did not ask for this. So that's why there's this thing in my soul when it gets hard, my brain and my soul goes, I didn't ask for this. So this needs to be easy because I didn't ask for it. And God's like, no, it doesn't matter if you asked for it. This is your calling. You should have asked for it. And you'll be more comfortable with your calling if you start asking God to help you with the cup, not just to lead you to the calling. Because if you get finished with the cup, I promise you, the cup is your literal Uber X to your calling. It's on the way, but you got to drink the cup. If you get married, the cup is dying to your independence. 
Come on, look at your spouse and go, man, this cup ain't no joke. Don't look at me, Christina. Don't look at me. Who got the bigger cup between me and you? Hey, I'm not going to lie. My wife's cup is huge. Because I done drug my wife into everything. Talking about, I didn't ask for it. She didn't ask to be married to a pastor. Like, my cup is huge. Like, there's a weight that she has to carry that nobody, and she doesn't get any of the celebration and the honor. Nobody walks up to her and goes, great job. Does that make sense? So her cup is no joke, but our calling is worth the cup. And so we have to understand that God uses those things to reveal himself to us. You know the other reason that he does it? Number three is God uses difficult circumstances and suffering to teach us. Like, why can't you get a college degree in six weeks? No, you got to grind it out for four years. I just went to a few high school graduations. Them things are two hours long. You know why? Because these people, these kids have been told what to do and had to do homework since kindergarten. And now they're done. What an incredible accomplishment. And there were things about it that weren't easy, but they learned something. And so your failure, uh, uh, your fear of failure is you can never fail if you learn something. Failure is not just it didn't work out the way you wanted to. Failure is it didn't work out and you learned nothing. But if you learn something, that's not failure. Do we go to um, high school graduations and all the speeches are how proud they are of everyone. And, and most of these kids ain't never paid a bill in their life. They didn't do anything. All they did was for 14 years, however long it is, all they did was learn. And what an incredible accomplishment that you learned for 14 years. Now, what is the speeches? Take what you've learned and go accomplish something. And as parents, do we go, nope, nope, nope. This is, I don't know why they're telling these people. They didn't do anything. You, you wasted 14 years of your life. All that was was failure because you didn't do anything. No, for kids... 14 years of learning is an accomplishment. Now go take what you've learned. Now, if you don't feel like you are where you need to be, but for the last 14 years, you've learned about your heavenly father. You've learned what grace is. You've learned what truth is. You've learned how valuable community is. You learn how to date the right people. You've learned how to have some friends. You've been doing that for 14 years. Then today gets to be your graduation where you get to go out in the world and through all the hard times, you've learned something. Now go do something with what you've learned. Learning is not failure. You can start a business and learn how to run the business for 10 years, and we go, my business is failing. No, it's not. You're learning how to run a business. But what your issue is, is when you ran that business and you started that business, you thought this was going to be your cup. You thought God was Santa Claus. Legs crossed, chilling. And if you try to make your calling this cup, God will always match your calling to the cup you're willing. And if you don't want this cup, you don't want that calling. It comes with it. It comes with it. And I have been so burdened by the cup, and I didn't know it. I thought that God had removed his favor from me. And God's like, no, my favor's all over you. I'm getting ready to bless you. The next seven to 10 years of your life are going to be crazy, but I got to train you through this so you and everyone knows it was me. It was me. I got to teach you. 
Deuteronomy 8 says this, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live in increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. Does that sound like a nice God? He made you go hungry and then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Oh, these people put too much hope in bread, so I'm going to remove the bread and then give them bread that can only come from me. This ain't Ralph's bread. This ain't Trader Joe's bread. Come on, somebody. This ain't even Whole Foods bread. This ain't no rice sprouted. This bread came from heaven. So I'm going to remove any ability for you to get bread. I know culture tells you to get your bread up, but I'm telling you to get your word up. I'm going to remove all the bread in your life, all the access that you could have to human-produced bread, and then I'm going to rain bread from heaven. And by the way, I'm not going to let you collect it and store it. I'm going to rain it every day so you have just enough for today. Because sometimes you need faith for just today. Some of you don't have faith for tomorrow, but do you have faith for today that God is going to get me through today? I don't know what's going to happen next week, but I'm learning to live on bread alone. The word of God is my bread. It's my sustenance. I survive off of what God tells me. That's what it says. Learn to survive off of what God tells you. And so he restricts what you're surviving on. He will always put on restriction. He will always cause a drought in any area you put before him. That's why I don't want a drought on money, don't put money. That's why my wife and I are so generous, because I don't want a drought. It ain't like, oh, I'm just such a nice guy. I, God called a drought when all of my... Generosity is the key. And I'm not talking about a drought like we all can give and go through hard times. But I'm saying God promises that he's going to use those hard times to teach us lessons. And when he's doing this, this is what the church does. I, I, I wrote this down. It often causes people to second-guess the goodness of God because someone more sinful than them seems to have it better. When God has you sip in your cup, you look to the sin of the world. Well, I mean, I'm not as bad as them. Why does my boy over here, man, he, 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 he's smoking and drinking and going to the club? I went to the club once. I only have one girl. Maybe a little something on the side. He's got five girlfriends. He's doing this. He's doing that. Why is culture doing this and that? When God is putting, God has put the whole church under discipline. And everywhere you go, the church is screaming at culture. Why? Because culture is technically more sinful than us. And so it makes us think, well, God's not dealing with them, but he seems to be dealing with me. So why not them? That's the temptation when God is making you sip from your cup is you start talking about what other people are doing. I I'm being real. And it, and, and, the, and it gets lit out there. I feel like the world has rejected God like never before. I'm like, God cannot be spoken anywhere. I've gone to like city events and they go, can you not maybe say Jesus? Like why? Because 
they have this thing that they don't feel aligns with Jesus. And God does not say to believers, you know what? Let's try to put a stop to them. He says, love your enemies. He says, when the Roman soldiers, the culture, take your, uh, ask you to walk a mile, back in that culture, a Roman soldier, by the way, you can rag on California culture all you want or whatever, you don't want to live in Rome. In Rome, the government could stop you and make you carry their stuff a mile. Hey, this stuff is too heavy for me. You over there, you little Christian, come carry my bag. And you would have to carry their bag for a mile. You know what Jesus told them to do? Carry it too. Oh, you're going to try to make me carry a mile? Watch my God. I'm going to carry it too. Oh, you, oh, you want to make me do something? Watch with the attitude and the faith I do it with. But this culture, church culture, tells us, you know what we need to do? We need to boycott all corporations that don't. That's not what God is saying. God sees that evil and he's going to deal with it. But in the temptation, when God is trying to make us sit for our own cup, we try to say, we try to give the cup to culture. No. Be faithful. Do what God's called you to do. But don't, you're not here to convert culture. Not yet. But do not conform to it. Do not change your theology. That's not true. That's not the truth of God's word. That's not the truth of God's word. You don't align yourself with something that's not true to be nice. God says to be kind, not nice. Kindness doesn't sacrifice the truth. Nice does. So when we're kind, we try to tell the kindest way possible to tell someone the truth. We're trying to be nice, we lie. How's the food? Oh, it's good. <laughs> right? Come on, y'all. Y'all ever been to the potluck? They ain't got, you can tell they ain't got no Lowry's in they. They ain't got no Lowry's in their closet. I mean, in their cabinet. Just a little bit of salt and pepper. Just. Right? So what I'm saying is, it's like, we're, we're, we're not conforming. The Bible says not to conform. So we can't let that way of thinking make its way into our thinking. We think the Bible. But the temptation is when it gets crazy to go on the attack. Because we believe that eventually... What they're doing is going to make its way into our space. But Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It won't work. But we start to feel closer. The Bible says weird things like though 10,000 may fall at your side, you will not even stub your toe. And I'm paraphrasing. So you're sitting there watching people just die and having the faith to go, but not me. Can you imagine standing there and everybody's killing everybody? And the Lord said, 10,000 may fall. And you're like, one, two, three, four, count to 10,000. And you don't run? Because the Lord said, not me. 10,000 people have stepped into this space and failed, but not me. 10,000 people have felt called to this space and it didn't work, but not me. 10,000 people have died trying to do what I'm about to do, but not me. That's literally what it says. And so when God deals with culture, he is coming in a way that would even put you on your face praying for mercy. And we will find that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. When Christ returns, we will find out we were more like them than we thought. Come on. Come on. We will. Everyone's going to repent of their sin. Habakkuk dealt with this battle because he kind of felt like, 
And I feel this way too, man. Like, I kind of feel like God's being harder on me than he is with people who don't believe God. Like, he seems to be letting people get away with this stuff. Like, it's wilding out here in these streets, man. Like, people are wilding. But, and Habakkuk complained about this. He said, oh, Lord, my God, in Habakkuk 1, verse 12, he says, oh, Lord, my God, my holy one, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Oh, Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. Watch this. I'm about to preach the word. So when God was displeased with the church, he gave power and authority to culture. I'm just going to let y'all know, sinner, man, man. When he was displeased with his people, he gave power and authority to the Babylonians. And the, the prophet said, like, what is going on? Are you going to wipe us out? You've sent these people, these people are in charge to punish us for many sins? He says, but you're pure and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? And watch him say this, should you be silent? What have you seen all on the internet? Be bold, speak up. And Habakkuk is saying, Habakkuk is saying you're not saying anything. Are you going to be silent? While the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they. He's going, I mean, I know we bad. We're not that bad. Why they got all the castles and the palaces and all the control over the corporations on? I know we're bad, but we ain't that bad. So why are you letting them? That's in us when God is making us drink for our cup. But let me tell you something. When you finish your cup, God will exalt you to the places they're trying to protect, and then he'll make you bless them. Did you hear what I just said to you? He's going to give you a seat at the table in the presence of your enemies. Matter of fact, if you have no enemies, there is no table. Every space. I'll give you an example. Every space. I personally think that God would not, I don't think there's anything wrong with boycotting corporations, but what God is saying is he's trying to make you the CEO of something. So if, if the way that corporations are not doing something that God, and that bothers you, that means you're called to be a CEO. Whatever space, if it's education, go be a teacher. Go, go get on the school board. I mean, my wife were praying, man, be, man, school's lit right now. They're telling our kids anything they want to tell our kids. And I was like, babe, you think we should go to, <laughs> you think we should yank our kids out of school? And I literally went to call her. This is a true story. I was like, I can't do this, man. We're going to take our kids. We're going to homeschool our kids, man. It was whatever little thing they was doing, man. I was like, hey, man, we ain't. And I went to get a hold of Christina because I was on my way to somewhere and, I, and she didn't call me back. She called me, hey, sorry, you need something? I was just praying with the moms and everybody at the school, praying over the school. And I said, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that maybe we should dip. <laughs> Pull our kids on out of that place. But since you're down there trying to bring forth the kingdom, I guess we'll just. <laughs> and I haven't said one prayer. I ain't prayed for not one dad. I drop my kids off at school and I go get my cappuccino. <laughs> Christina be down there for eight. I drive past the school all the time. Her car's parked out front. All the moms, hey, Christina. Hey, Christina. Then we went to school one day and, and this little girl 
who's had some challenges. We love her so much. One day, Christina's praying over our kids, and then I turn around, and our kids went to school, and I hear Christina, and in Jesus' name, we just pray. And she got this other little girl that goes to the school praying over her and her family and even believers, but Christina's praying over this little girl, and I said, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe instead of withdrawing, we're supposed to engage. Now, certain schools are different. Certain schools, you got to use wisdom and discernment because we are thinking about and we've been praying about, like, especially around junior high, like when the values are being cultivated, we're going to probably pull them out and be the sole most important voice in their life. And we're gauging by having conversations with them, where does the word of the Lord play in their life? And we teach them about God's word, not just about church. Does that make sense? So we're asking them, how do you battle what the word says compared to what you've been told? And so I'm gauging their answers and their answers are aligned that they understand what God's word said, but they love people. And so, okay, okay, we good, we good, we good. But what really happens is that when they get older, even if they've done everything right, God's going to hand them a cup and God's going to have you a cup. And the temptation is to go, but their cup, they, they don't seem to be suffering as much as I do. This is important for us to understand. I want to invite the team to come up because we read in the beginning that Jesus had a cup and he asked God to take away the cup. And I know people think the cup is suffering, but everybody's cup is specific. Somebody's cup could be feeling lonely. Somebody's cup is an inner desire whether it's a temptation, and God is asking you to overcome that cup. He's not going to remove it. You overcome it. But Jesus had a very specific cup. It wasn't just a cup of suffering. It's a very specific cup. And that's why he asked God to take it away. This is God. God can handle anything. But there was one cup that Jesus felt like he couldn't handle. Remember, he said, if it, in any other way, can you take this cup from me? And so I did some research to discover what was in that cup. And Isaiah 51 gives us a clue about what was in the cup. In verse 17, it says, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. This is God's people. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath because they were disobedient. You have drained uh, to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. Among all the children she bore, there was none to guide her. Among all the children she reared, there was none to take her by the hand. These double calamities and problems have come upon you. Who can comfort you? Ruin and destruction, famine and sword. Who can console you? Your children have fainted. They lie at every street corner. Like antelope caught in a net, they are filled with the wrath of the Lord, with the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk, but not with wine. They were drunk on God's wrath. This is what your sovereign Lord says. Your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. You'll never drink it again. Up until that point, when people made mistakes, the response was either wrath or blessing. And after buckling under the weight of the cup of God's wrath, God, in a prophetic moment, told Isaiah, 
tell them they will never drink from that cup again. Why would they never drink from that cup again? Because God would give that cup to his son, Jesus. And Jesus, hundreds of years later, took your cup that you used to have to drink, and he took my cup that he used to have to drink, billions and billions and billions of cups of wrath that individual people deserve. And God put it in a massive goblet, all of that wrath that every human would ever need to experience. Every human who ever was born, every human who's here today, every human who will be here in the future. And Jesus drank from the most massive cup of wrath ever. And he knew what it was and he said, I, I can't. Is there any other way? And because he didn't put his cup down, whatever is in your cup, whether it's the weight of your emotions, whatever is in your cup today, it is not wrath. God is not mad at you. God is not angry at you. And because of Jesus, your cup is manageable. If you get in community and you get to some people around you, because I feel like we're out in the world chasing connections and networking trying to get someone to connect us to our calling and we need to be rooted in the church so somebody can help us with our cup. The calling is guaranteed. So when we put slides on the screen and ask you to get in community, this is not a joke. You need help with your cup. And so I want everyone to stand to their feet right now because we have two really profound opportunities. And number one is that if you came in here believing that God is upset with you or God is frustrated with you, you need to give your life to Jesus so that cup in your life can be empty. What cup am I talking about? The cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's anger. You are, uh, uh, by faith, God is pleased with you. You can leave here feeling confident that you are a son, that you are a daughter, that God is pleased with you. And you haven't even had a chance to do anything to please God yet. But because of your faith that Jesus drank from that cup of God's wrath, you can now receive God's pleasure over your life. And how good will that be for your soul, for you to receive Jesus today? Receive Jesus today. Receive the grace and the love that it took for Jesus to drink from the cup of God's wrath on the cross so that you can come in here and your cup can overflow with God's love and blessing and guidance and direction. And it causes you to be able to repent and say, I'm turning from my ways and I'm going to follow God into all the things that he has for me. So if you want to give your life to Jesus in that way, I want you to lift your hands right now all over this place. If you want to give your life to Jesus, not do you believe he exists, but do you want to give your life to Jesus? Lay down your life and pick up a new one. Hands going up in the balcony, hands in the middle. We thank you. Come on, give God a great big hand clap and shout of praise. And if you're like me and you've given your life to Jesus, but your emotions are buckling under the weight of the cup that comes with the calling, I want to pray for you as well. Being married comes with a cup. Being a parent comes with a cup. Being a pastor comes with a cup. Being an evangelist comes with a cup. Being a prayer warrior comes with a cup. Being called to finances comes with a cup. And, and, and so many people will, will try to act like there is no cup, but no, there is one. And you don't want to put it down. But if you are 
struggling with the weight of that in this season, I would love to pray for you. Lift your hands if that's you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, right now, the Holy Spirit is going to give you strength. Father, we pray in the name of the Lord for those who have received Christ, that the Spirit of the Lord would bring such a repentance in their heart that they would be humble and change from their wicked ways and follow the one true God and the, the truth of his word and that their salvation would be worked out. The Bible says with fear and trembling, which just means that they would work out their salvation with unbelievable respect and reverence for God and that those that are in this room that are struggling to find the strength to keep going because the cup is too much for them to bear. Let them be comforted by the fact that even Jesus asked you to take away his cup, but he didn't put it down. He says, not my will, but yours be done. And we profess that in the presence of the Lord today, Jesus. Not our will, but yours be done. We want your will in our family. We want your will in our finances. We want your will in our body and our decision making. We want your will in Los Angeles. Not our will, but yours be done. In the mighty name of Jesus, somebody give God a shot of praise. Give him one minute. Release praise in the house of the Lord today. If you believe God will be faithful. Come on church, you can do better than that. The Bible says God is enthroned on the praises of his people. So I'm just looking for about 100 people to lift their hands and shout praises unto the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord.